When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honour. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat and you'll be embarrassed, a bit paisi, you know. And you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, Jesus says, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. When your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Why are you sitting here? We have somewhere better for you. And then you will be honoured in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he turned to his host, and when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbours, for they will invite you back. That, they will, that will be your only reward. But instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who not repay you. You see, by insisting the compassion be extended to society's outcasts who are unable to return the favour, Jesus challenged the prevailing status quo. Alright? And if today, if I wanted to challenge the prevailing status quo, I would have you standing for the remaining of the service. But I'm not going to do that. You may be seated. Alright? You see, as Brother Chris introduced this series, Surprise the World, today we're going to learn something interesting, alright? This service, this, this message is called Changing the World One Meal at a Time. How many of you here, raise your hand, have had meals before? Praise the Lord. I'm glad to know nobody's starving here. Okay? Everybody here, alright, has had a meal before. Okay? And we are blessed because we've had that opportunity. Alright? And you will notice that this message is really a very, very simple message. Last week, we looked at Paul's two-pronged approach to evangelism. A bold proclamation by evangelists, alright? And the living, and Brother Chris talked about it, living a questionable and intriguing lives by believers. Why do you live such a life? Because it's going to provoke unbelievers. It's going to provoke people that you know, and they're going to be like, why do you live such way? What is so different about you? Why do you do things differently? Alright, we explored briefly what it means to live a questionable life. One that surprises unbelievers and evokes curiosity about our faith. This week, I want to look at a distinctively biblical practice that could do exactly that. Alright, so before I get to that, I want to ask you first a question. Okay, if I were to say, how would you complete the following sentence? Can we have that uh, slide? Alright. The following phrase says, the Son of Man came. Okay? The Son of Man came. Okay? If I were to ask you to complete today, and if you were to just go through, if you know your word well, all right, you're going to just scan through your mind, like what are some of the scriptures? Okay, there are three ways the New Testament completes that sentence. While the first two is very well known, the third might surprise you. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Wow! Deep, powerful. Two, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And aren't we all glad for that? 
Amen. Aren't we all glad for that? We are a grateful bunch of people today because of that scripture. These are the first two. But the third one, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's right. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a man who is a glutton, a heavy wine drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what the scripture says. Jesus went about eating and drinking. You see, the first two passages, the first two points, tells us what Jesus came to achieve. It's important to know that. But the third point tells us the manner he went about going about it. You see, the first two is important. But how did he do it? What is the method behind the message? Alright? If I were to ask you to list all the ways that Jesus blessed the people around him during his time on the earth, I'm guessing, just taking a wild shot in the dark, okay, you'll probably say teaching, healing, doing miracles, praying, walking on water, dying on the cross, and three days later, overcoming death and coming back to life. And I'm thinking eating wouldn't be on it, right? Because we take it for granted. It's something that we just do all the time. Some people do it three times. I know some athletes who do it seven times. You know, some people might, like, you know, try to lose weight. They say, you know, I'm just going to do one meal a day, two meals a day. But we all do it. And sometimes we take it for granted. But Jesus always used meals, all right? In fact, much of his ministry is centered around meals. Firstly, he performed his first ever miracle at a wedding feast when he turned the water into wine. One of his most well-known miracles was feeding the 5,000 on a hill along the countryside. The night before his crucifixion, right before he died, he brought together his closest friends for a meal. And after his resurrection, he shared breakfast on the beach with his disciples. Look at that. Jesus always did things over a meal. How significant is that? I know it may sound a little crazier, but eating was actually central to Jesus' mission of loving others and showing them God's love. And I'm grateful for that today. All right? Throughout Scripture, we see Him having fellowship with people over food. You see, the English word for fellowship comes from this Greek word, all right? Koinau, koinonia. If I, I, hope, I hope I'm pronouncing it correct. The root of this word, koinos, was regularly used in ancient Greek language as a prefix with words such as family, home, meeting. The word koinos is loosely translated as in common or together. And adding the prefix makes new words like some family, common home, public meeting. So then we can say that fellowship means common fellows together, and even a relationship of like-minded people. See, Eric Metzas, a Christian author, mentions how all of us, believers or non-believers, desire some kind of fellowship or com connection. All right? It's across the board, be it so you're in church or you're outside of church, everybody yearns for something. All right? Everybody yearns for fellowship or connection. I know some people say, you know, I'm an introvert. Some people say, you know, I like to be alone and all these things. But deep down, there is something that God has placed in each and every one of us that desires a relationship. 
that desires fellowship, that desires connection and communion. All right? And, and, and Jesus always made time for fellowship. And guess what? He always did it around tables. All right? And one of the ways we can surprise the world is by how we use our table. All right? And we're going to look at three main points on how the table can shape our mission in the neighborhood. All right? First point, the table can be a surprising place. One of the most surprising things about Jesus was who he ate with. His critics regularly accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. This guy I always know. Uh, probably drinking wine, eating. Every single time I see him, he's drinking, he's eating. The people he's hanging out with, come on, man. This is what the Pharisees were looking at. You know, Jesus was, was neither of these things. He was neither a drunkard nor a glutton. But obviously, his preparedness to eat and drink with sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes gave his enemies plenty of ammunition. Every single time, Jesus took time to have fellowship over a meal with the outcasts. People were like writing it down. Uh-huh. I saw Jesus eating that person. Time to share my Pharisee friends. Oh man, shame on Jesus. Shame, shame. All right. He began his public ministry by providing more wine at a wedding feast in Cana. In fact, the miracle at Cana, which we find in John chapter 2, verse 6 to 11, is a great example of the surprising nature of the table. I'm going to read this scripture. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some, dip some out, take it out to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water, there was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. Okay? He called the bridegroom over. I'm not sure how many of you watched The Chosen. All right? If you have been, great. You should watch it. Fantastic series. And this scene is actually depicted in that, in that show. And the master of ceremony is like, you know what? He calls attention to everybody. All right? And, and probably if, if you were the parents or you were the bride and groom, you're slightly concerned because wine ran out at the wedding. And that is going to look so bad. It's going to affect your social status. It's going to affect your reputation. But guess who saved the day? Jesus saved the day. And the master of ceremony stands up and he's like, hey, Everybody pay attention, pay attention. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? The host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone had a lot to drink, they get drunk, kind of lose sight of what they're doing. Then the host brings out the less expensive wine. That's what the, everybody did back in that culture. It's in, in a way, cheat lah, you know? You, you serve all the best stuff so that everybody will be very happy and then when they're more drunk, when they're less unaware, you serve the cheap wine. The not so good stuff so that nobody will notice. But the master of the ceremony says, but you've kept the best until now. And the miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed His glory and His disciples believed Him. You see, the water jars that Jesus used to turn water into wine was set aside for the ceremonial washing 
associated with the Jewish purification rites. And you know the Jewish people are very particular about all their rites and their rituals. And if a Jew felt they had been contaminated by contact with Gentiles, shame on those Gentiles, they would wash in water and recite certain prayers to restore themselves in, in their sanctified state before God. Those water, that water was to cleanse themselves just in case... I come into contact with a Gentile, or just in case I mix with these Gentiles, that water is there for me to just you know, cleanse myself because these people are unholy people, man. I don't want to be associated with them. Alright? What does Jesus do? Jesus is always about doing things opposite, isn't he? He takes the symbols of separation between Jews and Gentiles, between the holy and unholy, and fills them with wine. The universal symbol of hospitality inclusion and fellowship. Wine was known as the universal sign of hospitality. When you serve wine, you're inviting people for fellowship. Inviting them has an has a, has a extension of your friendship. Okay? And he continued to do this throughout his earthly ministry. He took something that separated society and, 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 and mankind and he brought them together through his act of miracle. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, you see Jesus using the table all the time to surprise his fellow guests. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, in his second dinner invite, Jesus, I tell you, he always got invited for dinners one. He's like the most popular person. Always get invited or maybe he invites himself for the dinner or so. Okay? It is at a table Jesus accepts the worship of an uninvited sinful woman and criticizes the self-righteous Simon the Pharisee after Simon was offended by the woman. Simon saw this unclean woman who was worshipping Jesus and who was, who was, was just giving of herself and saying, she was just saying, you are your Lord, your God. And because she was so overwhelmed, and I think some of you can relate to that. When you're in the presence of God Almighty, you just feel unworthy and you feel, oh, I am in the presence of a holy God. And she just caught she got caught up and overwhelmed and she was doing all that she can to honour God. But Simon, in his judging state, Simon in his, 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 oh, I am holier than thou state, was like offended by it. Oh my gosh, what is this woman doing here? And even more so, I invite Jesus and Jesus is letting her do all this in front of my guests and me? How dare Jesus? That's what Simon was saying. And sometimes we do that unknowingly. I'm not saying you're going to the extent of Simon the Pharisee, but deep down, sometimes we do have prejudices. Sometimes deep down, we do have preferences. And sometimes uh, we allow these things to stop us from receiving somebody. Sometimes it stops us from communing with somebody. And that was what Simon is doing. And Jesus said, hey, stop that. He criticized Simon's self-righteousness. In fact, in verse 44, Jesus recounts the woman's loving display of hospitality. By contrast, Simon had done little to welcome his guests. Jesus was showing this woman, I've been here so long. Simon, what did you do as a host? What have you been doing all this while? But this, mo this lady, ever since she came, all she has been doing is worshipping me. All she has been doing is acknowledging my presence and making me feel honoured and loved. What have you been doing, Simon? In Luke chapter 14, verse 7 to 14, 
He said, and another dinner engagement, again dinner, it is at a table that Jesus dispenses advice on how to welcome the poor into your lives by insisting that compassion be extended to society's outcasts who are unable to return the favour. Jesus challenged the prevailing status quo. We just read that scripture. Jesus was saying, if you go and invite somebody else, who can? You know, sometimes we have this practice. Right, I mean, I'm pretty sure some of you can relate to this. We go out with our colleagues, we go out with our friends, then we end up having a meal, and then somebody pays for the meal. Then we say, hey, no, 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 hey, hey, I need to pay. Hey, no, 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 hey, please, no, no, no. It's just we do this all the time. I, I, no, 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 it's on me, it's on me. And then we're just pushing, 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 pushing. No, 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 I do, I do it. We're always so happy to do this for our friends, you know, and, and, and bless somebody that we know, you know. Jesus said that one's very easy, eh? Because you know why? Maybe the next time you go out, they're going to treat you. The next time you go out, they'll remember, they say, oh yeah, oh, this person treat me. Hey, I've got this. Don't worry, I've got this. I can bless you back. No worries. No problem. I've got this. Because you know why? You know this person has the resources to do so. You know that this person's got your back. But Jesus says, how about doing for people who don't have your back? How about doing for people that you know is not going to be able to bless you back? So they have nothing in return. That is a higher form of giving. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 32. During the course of the meal together, it is at a table that Jesus revealed himself as the risen Lord in Emesis. Okay, The scripture describes how Jesus blessed the food, he broke the bread and distributed it among them before supernaturally opening their eyes to him. After they partake of the bread, after they had that fellowship, they were like, wait, was that Jesus? At first, they were not unaware. They were like, who's this visitor? But after that, they were like, wait, was that Jesus? They were supernaturally, their eyes was open to acknowledge Jesus and he did it over a meal. In fact, the author and Bible scholar N.T. Wright says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what the forthcoming death was all about. He didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. Let us sink in. See, often, too, oftentimes we always feel, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a brother Chris. I'm not a brother Charles. I'm not pastor. You know, what can I do? How can I win a soul? How can I share about Jesus? Jesus when he was going to talk about his death, his resurrection, he did not go into doctrine. He didn't go into, into a huge theory. He brought them to a meal. And sometimes meals can be some of the most unassuming places where we can minister to people about God. All right? And today I just want to show you a short example. If you don't mind, Brother Chris, uh, Brother Charles, can you just bring the, the table forward and uh, maybe I can get yeah, just bring it forward here. Thank you. There are three chairs here. So maybe Brother Chris, Brother Charles, and maybe Zach. Can I invite you down? Yes. To sit down at the table. You see, in Jesus' culture, eating a meal was a statement of friendship. It was an affirmation of that person's value, dignity, and worth. Who you ate with indicated who you loved and considered to be part 
of your social class. And if you can see here, Brother Chris, Charles, you know, Brother Zach, they're all of different age. And probably of different social status too. You know, maybe what Brother Chris earns might be very different from what Zach brings in. Zach is a soldier right now. You know, I don't know, not, not, not much money, right, Brother Zach? I don't know. Okay, I don't need to tell us, okay? Okay, Brother Chris, Brother Charles, all of them. No, Brother Charles working in church. Brother Chris is working elsewhere. Different people have different backgrounds, preferences, different social status. And what a table does is it brings all of you to a common place. And that's the beauty of a table. You see, if, if I sit out here right now and I tell you all these things, there is no level of intimacy. There's no level of friendship. I'm just delivering something. You're listening to me. You go off. But if I remove all of you right now and I were to sit down over this table and I have this, some food over here and we just started talking, there will be so many more things I will find out about them that I would have never done while in this sermon in this place. Why? Because the table is a place oftentimes people feel they let their guard down. Especially over a meal. You know? And if, imagine, I, I don't have snacks and food. I'm so, I'm so sorry about this. But just imagine. Okay? And after church, most of you will probably go for lunch. And you're going to do it over a meal. And, and a meal gives you this, it lets your guard down. It doesn't kind of infringe on your social space. You're sitting down, you're having a meal, and, and you're eating, and you're just feeling good about the food that you're eating, hopefully. You know? And, and then you're talking. And then you just start talking and then you find something common. You see, if I were to put, pick up random people over there, because you're all sitting according to who you know, your family members, everything. But if I were to mix and match and put people at the table right now, eventually if I allowed you to have a meal and talk, you will find out different things about yourself. And oftentimes, society doesn't allow us to do that. Oftentimes, society, and, 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 you, and some of you will know, the caste system was something that split people apart. It didn't allow people to hang out together and say, no, you are different from me. You are poorer than me. You are lousier than me. You are a sinner. I am righteous. I am better. You are worse. That's what society always tells us. And that's what in the times of Jesus, the society did. Sorry, just, just remain seated for a short while longer. I know it's like a classroom. It was so scandalous to the religious readers that Jesus would frequently eat with the lowest and the most hated group of people. Respectable rabbis didn't eat with those who were not of the good people. One of the best examples comes from Matthew's report of what happened when Jesus ate with the tax collector. Okay? And if you have watched, uh, I'm just going to imagine Zach is Matthew, for example. Okay? If you have watched the Chosen series, it shows that there's this clip where Jesus is just walking and Matthew is just at his booth collecting taxes. And if you know anything about tax collectors back then, right? Nobody likes them. Because these are people taking your money. Alright? It's like loan, almost like loan shark like that. You know, and people, nah, I don't like them. And, and Matthew wrote an account of that. And in fact, Matthew was in fact talking about himself. Because everybody despised him. In fact, the disciples, imagine if Brother Charles was of, or Peter, you know, or James or John, Brother Chris, they were probably like wondering, why is this Matthew? Why am I eating with him? In fact, the Bible says, right, when Jesus called him, said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew was like, what? Me? Me? Nobody calls me. Nobody wants to hang out with me. 
you know, Matthew's like, where are we going? And Jesus says, we're going to a dinner party. And then Matthew's like, uh, um, nobody invites me for dinner parties. Then Jesus is like, that's, that's fine, because you're the one hosting the dinner party. Right? Matthew hosted the dinner party. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 to 13 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He was trying to help them understand, guess what? You guys are full of yourself. And you have, in a way, disqualified yourself. I want to help you understand. People sometimes think, that, oh, but not fair huh, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't disqualify them. They disqualified themselves. They disqualified themselves. At any point of time, you, the Pharisees and the Sadducees could have seen what Jesus was doing and say, hey, there's something different about Jesus. Hey, there's something special about Jesus. Hey, He's doing a miracle. Hey, He's loving the unlovable. Is there something different? I mean, why, not, why couldn't God love the unlovable? He's God, right? That's His creation, right? So you're a leper or a prostitute or a tax collector, you're still God's creation, right? Why did that not sink in? Because the, tech, the Pharisees and the Sadducees allowed themselves to disqualify themselves from God's presence and separating themselves from the community. You see, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth. That's right, Zach, you're the scum of the earth. Alright? That's right, you should feel bad about it. Okay? Tax collectors worked for the Roman Empire. Most Jewish people considered them traitors because they made money by overcharging their own people. Tax collectors were seen but rarely spoken to and certainly not someone you would share a meal with. First thing Jesus did after Matthew said yes to following him wasn't to enroll Matthew in a class on how to be a disciple. I know we have next steps. I know we have a lot of classes. And sometimes we, we, we love to do that. And I have, I've been guilty of doing that. So, and it's perfectly fine. If there's someone who's open to it, do it. You know, if you, you know someone who's, who, who would like to be part of a parenting class or a friendship class or whatever it is, enroll them in it. That's fine. But guess what? Jesus didn't do that with Matthew. He didn't challenge him to start studying the Bible and memorizing scriptures. Here, this is, you know what? Here, here's the word of God. Study it. Okay? Memorize, huh? In the next two days, huh? Before the, the, the meal comes, huh? I want you to recite the Torah to me, huh? Okay? He didn't say that. Okay? He, 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 there, there would have been vitally important assignments, but instead, he simply went to Matthew's house to eat. Because he understood Matthew was ostracized. He knew people were uncomfortable inviting Matthew. So how about Matthew invites everybody to his house? Alright? The term sinner in Jesus' day was a catch-all term for anybody who wasn't religious or who was involved in an illicit or negative lifestyle like prostitution. The crowd at Matthew's house was really all who are of the socially 
unacceptable. Okay? Maybe there was a craftsman there. Maybe there was a fisherman here. Ah, oh, this fisherman. So smelly. You know? Oh, this craftsman. Ah, oh, so unlearned. So common. Oh, I don't know what it, uh, these people, they shouldn't, I shouldn't be hanging out with them. I should look for people who are teachers. Prestigious. Somebody who can, you know, who has money and status. In fact, it was so unacceptable that the religious establishment tried to undermine Jesus by asking his disciples, why does a teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, Jesus right, probably was eating. Right? He probably eating, having a good time with his, his, his disciples. You know? And the moment the Pharisees asked that question, I don't know, maybe Jesus had a drumstick in his hand, I don't know. Okay? He had some food in his hand. Okay? I think he probably was like, very upset. Okay, I, I don't know how this has happened, but I'm just saying. Okay, and Jesus was like, probably eating, and then he said, why, why, why these people hang out with sinners? And uh, Jesus was like, what in the world? Jesus came and said, it's not the healthy who need doctor, but the sick. Just to be clear, Jesus was not saying the religious Pharisees were healthy. I just want to clarify that. Spiritually, they were not healthy at all. Okay? Good people who didn't need a doctor. I, just, I, I don't want you to misunderstand that. They are not healthy. They thought they were healthy. They thought they were healthy. They had not been diagnosed by the, the greatest doctor that ever lived. They chose not to be diagnosed. They thought they knew what was good for them. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because the Pharisees were, were, were probably saying, these people, huh, did they even sacrifice not? Because you know the Jewish system, you sacrifice for your sins and you make atonement. And they were like, did these people do it? This tax collector, this, this uh, prostitute or this fisherman or this craftsman, did they go and bring sacrifice? Huh? How come Jesus is sitting with them? They never even do what's right according to the law. And Jesus, once again, I tell you, Jesus is so good, man. I, tell, I, I really, I'm, telling, I'm watching the series, I'm reading the, the scriptures. Jesus had an answer for everything. He really had an answer for everything. Eh? And I think that's why it's so important for us to study the Word of God. Because, you know, you need to show thyself approved because there's always going to be a time where people are going to throw things at you. And you need to be able to clarify things. I'm not saying you need to argue or debate, but you need to be able to clarify. And Jesus was able to pull out the Scripture and He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He took a page out of the Old Testament. If I'm not wrong, I think it's Hosea that says that. Okay? The Pharisees were famous for knowing the Old Testament backward and forward. They pride themselves in memorizing it. They were all stars at memorizing and performing religious rituals and sacrifices. But they ignored the poor and the marginalized. So Jesus beat them in their own game. He pulled out a scripture from the Old Testament. Oh, you like memorizing scripture? Right? Great. I've got one for you. I desire mercy over sacrifice. How about that? Jesus said, you know God says, I desire mercy and sacrifice, but you don't really know what it means. And if you do, you aren't living it out. That's why he was telling the Pharisees, you're not living it out. You do all the things, I mean, he was talking to the Pharisees, but it's applicable to us. You do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. I give tithing, I fast whenever I need to, you know, I come, I, I watch Tuesday night prayer meeting, you know, I, I come to Sunday service. What's wrong? I'm a good Christian, what? And sometimes we slip into that complacency or worse still, we slip into the rope of the righteous. The righteous. 
And we're like, what's wrong with me? And you know what sometimes the righteous people, the Pharisees like to do? They like to hang out with themselves. That's what they were very famous for. I hang out with my peers. People who only met my IQ or, or, or in my social status. And sometimes we can be in danger of doing that. We are so comfortable just, hang, just hanging out with people like us or just people in the church. That God is prompting us today. Could it be that He wants you to reach out to somebody who's different from you? Could it be that He's trying to ask you to reach out to somebody who is not somebody you would like to talk to or hang out with usually? And guess what? He's, speaking, he's been speaking that to me lately too because there have been times, I've been, I've been sharing in a care group also, I say there are times where there are certain people in my workplace, I'm like, oh. I just, I just, I just like, oh, I, don't, I don't like this person, I don't like this person. You know? And then somehow, right, we'll always end up with this person. Really, one eh? Really, I, I don't know if you all get it, but I, I cannot want eh? You know, I'll be like, I'll, I'll hang out with my friends over lunch, hang out with all these people that I like. And then suddenly, right, the office, they do social distancing. They say, okay, you, you sit here, you sit here, you sit here. Okay, three of you sit here. Okay, now I'm going to put all of you here in this office. Guess what? I see the people I don't like one. What are the chances? What are the chances? I was like, really, God? Really? I already was not looking forward to going back to office and you put me with people I'm a big fan of. Okay, okay, okay. And you know, I, the first day, wow, so hard there. Eh? Really very hard. Person kept talking, annoying me, getting under my skin. I was like, Jesus, how do you do this? Where's, where's your agape love? I don't feel it at all. You know? And I was like, wow. And, 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 the, and, and the next few days became better. You know, and I remember sharing this with my care group. God convicted me because I was looking at this person through a different lens. And funnily enough, right, before the person moved, because eventually the person moved away because they had, they had, they had to shift somewhere else. You know, and, and I was like, oh. But before the person went off, the person was like, wow, actually, uh, I wish I could hang out with you longer, yeah. I said, what? You know, I didn't say that aloud. Lah. I, th- I thought that, what? The, because the person is Christian also. And the person heard me playing the Christian songs. And the person knows, like, we do care group, we talk about preaching. The person's like, man, if I see if you are one, I can talk about God more. Eh. Okay, then you can play Christian music all the time. No worries, man. That was like, wow. 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 I didn't, I, I, I didn't see that at all. See, Jesus was on a mission with his life and the Pharisees didn't get it. For them, the first priority was obedience to laws. For Jesus, it was blessing people. He came to show them grace and mercy, not just hope people would find their way back to God, but to help them do it. He blessed and loved people by sharing meals with them. Through his sacrifice, Jesus invites us all to share a meal at his table of grace, forgiveness, and blessing. Jesus is inviting us to his table of grace, mercy, forgiveness. Which means that we too can invite our friends, co-workers, neighbours to share a meal of grace and blessing with us. You see, in his book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost says we should be radical socialisers. What a great thought. But the question is, how can socialising be radical? So the word radical is often associated with extreme. 
You know, when we say radical, we always think the extreme version. Okay? But in, his, in their book, right here, right now, Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford give a better idea. They said, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage as believers. Missional hospitality is tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. Wow, I love the sound of that. Okay? We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Make sure you tell everybody about that. Huh? To be safe, huh? you just need to eat meals together with me. Wow, I tell you, people will join you. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. So you see, the table can be a surprising place that gets people asking why we break bread with unexpected guests. Alright, thank you very much. You may, you may go back to your seats. Thank you. You see, one of my favourite things, right? I love to do this. This is my personal um, experience. Is bringing people together for meals. And I used to do this quite often, but obviously now in light of COVID, it's a bit hard. But I used to do this thing where every month I would like just get it. Because I found out like, oh, especially TJ, we, we have a lot of foodies. TJ, we have a lot of foodies. People who love to eat good food. Right? And then sometimes we will go end up eating like really good burgers or really good mixed rice or like really good food, like, you know, seafood, whatever it is, you know, and, and ramen or whatever it is. And then we always be like, hey, hey, got this promo, hey, got this food, I want to go eat. Okay, can. Then you suddenly, you invite maybe two people, your friends. And then the two people invite another two friends. Then suddenly the group become very big one. You know, and then we, we, we think that quite often. Then I realise, hey, I realise sometimes when we do these meals, right, some of them say, is it okay if I ask my outside friend? Then I was like, wow, if I had to be very honest with you. The first time I heard it, I was like, mm. But then, like, we change the dynamic of the group. Because we are all TJ people already, then we are all very comfortable with each other. Then suddenly got these guests, then a bit weird, right? You know, I had to be very honest with you. That's what I thought. And I said, like, you know what? Let's give it a try. You know, and I remember the first time the, the friend came, they really enjoyed themselves. In fact, they, they shared with their friend who, who invited them and said, I really had a good time. Your friends are really interesting, very cool. You know, I really had a good time. And slowly, we continued doing that. You know, every month I will organize and then people will start inviting their friends. You know, and I, we have since stopped there and hopefully in the future, I, I, we can start that again. But there's so many people who join us as a result of those meals. We, we just organize a food place and everybody will just show up. And then we will just sit like randomly. Of course, the person who brought their friend will sit together with their friend. But if not, we will just sit randomly. Because sometimes, you know, even in school when we are young, we always do this. We only sit one to sit beside our friend one. Right? You okay, agree. I mean, you all, I mean, even in service, sometimes you also want to sit with your friend. What? You don't, you don't sit with a random person. Because you know why? Out of your comfort zone. What if I sit without this person? Then like, I don't know what to talk. Then like, very uncomfortable. Lah. Very awkward. Which is normal. That's fine. But that, that dinner place, always right. We never plan sitting arrangement. Everybody just sits somehow. And it always turned out very well. Unless, of course, there are specific people that you want to talk to, then yes. Then you sit beside that person. But it always turned out very well. And I loved it. You know why I loved it? I love the idea of different people from different backgrounds coming together and just talking and finding out something different. And I love, and that's why I love care groups. And I remember my first care group where we did it, all the people were different personality one. Different personality, different background, whatever it is. And I was like thinking to myself, my goodness, how are we going to do this? How are we going to merge all these different people 
over different personalities. Some people extrovert, some people introvert, some people like this, some people... I, and I tell you, choosing meals was so hard. But guess what? Over meals. We did so many meals. So many meals, you should know. Our group name, right, was called Breaking Bread. So you know how many meals we did. We broke a lot of bread. Okay? We did it over meals, and I tell you, there's something special about that. Something very special about that. Because you know why? Sometimes, right, the topics and the conversations that you have over a meal, right, you might not hear it in a, in a church place. Because people feel mm, a bit formal, a bit uncomfortable. But when you're having a meal, suddenly somebody starts sharing. Oh, this week, uh, not a good week at work, man. Oh, how come? Oh, you know, you eat, they talk. Man, I've been having a tough time with this. It helps you let your guard down. Commune. Just think about that. Think about a person that you would like to invite for a meal this week. Okay, second point. The table fosters community. Okay? I don't know whether have you seen it, but I, um, have you ever seen an older couple sitting at a restaurant eating in complete silence? I don't know whether you have the picture. A bit weird, right? Uh, obviously, not married, I'm not that old, so, but maybe they already talk all that they want to talk already. <laughs> okay? Maybe now they're like, you know what, I see enough of you already, so let me just eat this in silence. I don't know. Okay? For some of us, that may be very weird. Huh? What are you eating together if you're not talking to each other? A bit weird, right? See, for some, right, the table can be a place of rest and recon reconciliation. It's a place where they just sit down, I can be just in your company, I don't have to talk much. Okay, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be in your company. But more often than not, the table is a forum for conversation and entertainment and more. Author Henry Nowen wrote about the power of eating together. He said, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, closeness, when we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass. We offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond grows and we become, we become food and drink for one another. Look at that. Simon? Carrie Holt is a theologian as well as a professional chef. He says how the table creates community. He says, It is through the daily practice of the table that we live a life worth living. Through the table, we know who we are, where we come from, what we value and believe. At the table, we learn what it means to be family and how to live in responsible, loving relationships. Through the table, we live... Through the table, we live our neighborhood, neighborliness and citizenship, express our allegiance to particular places and communities, and claim our sense of home and belonging. And at the tables, we celebrate beauty and express solidarity with those who are broken and hungry. Wow. Wow. Look at how much the table can do. The table can disarm individuals. The table can help us with that. You see, the Christians, we can be victims of the holy huddle, can we? We only invite other Christians to our tables because we feel more comfortable with them. 
But I think Jesus calls us to foster community with unbelievers as well. If you, I, I remember the, the, the video and, and when, when Jesus invited Matthew to, 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 to have a meal with them, I think it was Peter or somebody was like, huh, what, he? Really? Why? After that, you know, he's not worthy or he's not good or whatever it is. Then Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are also not what? Then Jesus said, then Peter said, no, but I'm different. He's tax collector. Tax collector is the worst of the worst. So you see, even though Peter was a fisherman and he knew, Peter knew what it meant to be prejudiced against as a fisherman. Imagine if a fisherman went to the presence of a Pharisee. He's going to be looked down upon also. He's going to be prejudiced against also. And Peter knew that well away and yet Peter was doing the same for someone like Matthew. But, but, but Matthew is the worst of the worst. So he himself had a hierarchy system also. And sometimes we also have a hierarchy system. We, we might not say it, we, we might not openly say it, but we do, deep down. And that's how we plan certain things sometimes. We might have a hierarchy system. In Jesus' time, a person would never eat with someone of a different social standing, and certainly never with someone at a different religion. Okay, Jews eating at a table with Gentiles, example. But Jesus turns this on his head. He ate with them first, then asked repentance of them later. The thing about Christianity nowadays sometimes is we are hoping to convert them first. Then we like to invite them for meals. No, come to church first. Get the Holy Ghost first. Get baptized first. Then you will be a part of my community. But Jesus did it the other way around. He said, why don't you come for a meal? Spend time with my friends. Spend time with my friends. You know? And after that, you rub off each other. And then you're like, there's something different about this Jesus, huh? Because after they had a meal, they're like, I don't even deserve this meal. Okay, nobody invites me for meals. I don't, I, I don't hang out with anybody, but these people hang out. They give me a free meal. I want, to do, I want to see what's different about this. Jesus and his followers. They started following Jesus. They started to see Jesus show mercy and compassion on, on, on people that nobody likes. The leper. People are like, no, 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 don't touch him, don't touch him. Jesus went to heal him. The paralytic, the blind person, the prostitute. And then this person was like, wow, there's really something different about this Jesus. And he slowly got converted, right? Could it be that we might be doing certain things wrong? I'm not saying you are, but I, I say, could we do something things differently? Ben Myers in his book, The Aims of Jesus, describes of Jesus' presence at a sinner's table, okay? I don't know whether we have that um, slide. Ben Myers says, Jesus' openness to sinners did not mean he submitted passively or tolerated sin. He reversed the normal pattern. Conversion, then communion. That was the normal pattern back then. His offer of a communion with sinners triggered repentance. And conversion flowered from communion. Jesus' contact triggered repentance. And conversion flowed from communion. What a beautiful expression. And I think that it's my personal opinion. Of course, I'm not saying it is, it's in the Bible or whatever it is. This is my personal opinion. I think these kind of conversions tend to take longer and more grounded. Why? Because they've already been part of your fellowship. They've already seen all that you do. You know, and it's so much easier when they convert, they know it's for real. 
Sometimes when we, we when somebody comes to church and we try to do so much, like, we must convert this person, we need, we need to let them know, we need to let them know they're going to go to hell, they don't, they, they don't accept Jesus, and we do all these things, right? But then after they accept, then after a while they leave. Could it be because they have not had that communion? Could it be they have not built those relationships that flowers conversion? For, for thought. We see this in Jesus' attendance at a meal at the home of the tax collector Zacchaeus. Okay, uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. I already told you about Matthew, how he hated already. Tax collector already scum of the earth, all right, right at the bottom of the barrel. And now this guy is the chief of all tax collector. Okay, he tried to get a look at Jesus, okay, but he was too short. Okay, don't know how short was short, but he was too short, okay? And he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree, beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. He knew, okay? He was like, he's been hearing a lot of things about this Jesus, and he was like, you know what? I want, I want to hear this Jesus. I want to hear what's so different about him, okay? And he climbed that tree, and when Jesus came by, Jesus was always never caught. He just, he just on point, you know? And Jesus came, he looked at Zacchaeus and called out to him and said, Zacchaeus! Come down. I must be your guest in your home today. Wow. This guy couldn't even, he was not even at the front row seats for the, for the, for the performance, right? He didn't even have the first row seats. Okay? In fact, he didn't even have the ticket to the show. He had to climb a tree okay, to just to see, just to glimpse Jesus. And, and, and the VIP, the superstar, walks in and says, guess what? I'm going to have dinner at your place. Okay? Wow, I tell you, Zacchaeus probably blown away, you know. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Zacchaeus was super happy. He was excited. And guess what? Jesus was very happy. Okay? But guess what? The people were not happy. There's always people who are unhappy. Okay? He has gone to the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Man. Why never Jesus never see me? I stand here at the front eh. My house will be. Why I buy so many groceries? Why Jesus never come to my house? Why I've been following him all this while. Why Jesus never use my house? I, I bet I'm, people are thinking that and they're like, well, of all the people, Zacchaeus. Nobody like him one eh. He got no friends one eh, except for his own family. Wallah, he has a face of a face that only a mother can love. Wallah. You know, everybody had something to say about Zacchaeus and, and they were probably grumbling. They were like, well, of all the people. But Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Nobody asked him to say that. Nobody. If you look at the Bible, nobody like twist his arm, nobody beat him, nobody like kidnapped him, nobody forced him to say that. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've treated people, I'll give them four times more. This is the guy who's notorious for taxing people. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to your home today. For this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. 
And once again, Jesus violated protocol by inviting himself to the home of a despised and notorious tax official. His communion with the sinful tax collector led to repentance and conversion. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't invite himself to Zacchaeus' house? There's one soul who did not receive Jesus there. There's one soul whose life was not transformed. But he was just there. All he needed was an invite. Zacchaeus has always been there. But all he needed was someone to look at him and say, Zacchaeus, I want to have a meal with you. All it took was that meal with Jesus. And he was like, boom. I want to change. I want to give it all. All these things that I took years to accumulate, I'm going to give it all away. What's more special is this guy who got converted, he was a rich person. Right? Now Jesus is doing something very differently. All this while he's converting and all these people are poor people, uh, like, like, like they are like, you know, dirty or they're prostitute or bad social status or whatever. But now this guy is a rich guy. And Jesus gets him converted. You see, which further validated that Jesus came to seek and save that were lost in those who acknowledged they needed it. Regardless of their social status. Sometimes we might have this warped thinking that, oh, Jesus only wants to help the poor people. Jesus only wants to help these people. But guess what? This is a classic example of Jesus helping a man with the means. He had the means. He had the social status. And Jesus converted him. You know why? Because he acknowledged a need for it. See, Jesus came to seek them who were lost. And if you acknowledge it, Jesus will save you. Regardless of where you are. If anything, Jesus taught us how to become radical socializers in its simplest form. Having a meal over a table. And the final point, the table is where we celebrate communion. Today we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper in a very formal, systematic way. But the first Christians celebrated it in the context of a banquet. I mean, I'm pretty sure some of you have been part of communion and, and we do it, you know, we do it in service. You know, we, we, we have the ambassadors give it out, we do it. I'm not saying it's wrong, we just do it the way that we do it right now. But original context was it was always done over a banquet. Very informal setting. Okay, in fact, Jesus himself did it over a meal. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 to 28. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to disciples and saying, Take this, eat it, for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it and said, Each of you drink of it, for this is my blood, which confers which confirms the covenant between God and His people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. See, the table, I want, this to, I want this to resonate with you. The table, therefore, was the primary symbol of Christian worship. Not the pulpit, not the throne, not the chair, or the worship band, the table was a symbol of Christian worship. So what is our excuse today? I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I don't know the word so much. Do you have the means to do a meal? Do you have the, me the means to invite someone for fellowship? 
See, hearing all of this is great. But doing it is another thing. I know because I've sat here, I've heard the preacher preach, and I hear it, I'm like, oh, yes, I say, amen, praise the Lord, yes, preach it. And I say all these things, and then after that, I forget to do it. If there's anything that will stop us, it's one word, excuses. I should know. I give it all the time. Let me warn you, when you start thinking and praying about blessing your neighbours through this third practice of eating, it will become very easy and also very tempting to come up with all sorts of excuses for why you can't do it. We've heard all these things and we're like, wow, dude, it sounds so good. Sounds great, you know. But then, uh, Singaporeans, we love to say, but then, uh, we always start our sentences with the one. Okay, excuse number one. I don't like to have people in my home. Excuse number one. I don't like to have people in my home. Oh, Matthew, his house very big one. No? That's why he can have people over for banquet. You know, no, this, 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 this person, wow, they're living in landed house. Wow, that's why their house very big. That's why I can have a lot of people over. And then also, I'm very introvert. I don't like to have people over in my house. You know? When we start talking about this practice, some people say, I'm not much of a cook. I can't cook. Lah. You know, I, I, I don't even like my own food. Let alone ask somebody, I can't even cook Maggie me. You want me to host people over house? Yeah, I can't even eat my own food. You want me to invite other people to eat my food? Okay, I don't feel good about the way my house looks. We don't really even have a table. Very common excuses. I remember the first time when I was trying to have people over my house. My sister knows this. We were like trying to get the house in order. We were like, oh, everything needs to look good. Everything needs to look good. Nothing should look bad. Our place, right? we were like cleaning this. Well, I usually don't do housework, but then I was like cleaning this. I was doing that. I was like, everything needs to look good, man. You know? And then I said, I don't have table big enough to host everybody. Eh? Huh? Now eight people can have over. I don't know whether my table can fit eight people. You know, then we will have all kinds of excuses. If you don't like to have people over in your home, that's fine. Eat out. Yeah, you don't need lender house. You don't need a long brown table like the, the Lord Supper, that kind of table. Okay, don't worry. Nobody is asking you to have the Lord Supper over your house. Okay? If you don't have the necessary means to do it at your house, eat out. Singapore got so many good food. You got hawker food, you got restaurant food, you got seafood, you got buffet food, you got steamboat, you got everything. In fact, buffet now started already. But you cannot help, your own, help yourself to your own food. Lah. But it's started already. Invite someone to eat out if you don't want to do it at your house. If you can't cook, order in. We got Grab, we got Deliveroo, we got Food Panda. Why am I promoting them? I should be paid for this. Okay? They, they, you don't. You cannot cook. Then that's fine. There are people who can, you know. Ask deliver the food, or in fact, you invite people. Find people who can cook. I tell you, I I kid you not. TJ is blessed with so many awesome cooks. We are blessed with a lot of awesome cooks. I've been part of a lot of gatherings, and some of these food I eat what well, nosebleed. I was like, wow, these people. Huh, if God didn't call them to do what they're doing, they should be a chef already. So good. I'm not kidding. So you see, if you can't cook, get someone who can cook or order in. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to prepare an eight-course meal. You know, nobody's asking you to host a wedding. Okay? To invite someone over to dinner. Remember, it's not about what you're eating. And even when you're eating it, it's about who you're eating with. It's about who you're eating with. You see, Jesus, right, never made a big deal about where they were eating. 
it was the, the scripture always emphasizes on who he was inviting to the meal. It's not so much about, oh, do we have the, the logistics for this? He fed the 5,000 over the countryside. Imagine the logistics for that. Imagine if he had to worry about tables and chairs and for all these things. No, he didn't worry. He always thought about the people. Who is he going to be eating with? Who are the hungry ones? And here's another common excuse. I wouldn't know what to say. A lot of us might not be used to entertaining guests. You may be anxious about what you talk about. Some of you might say, but you know, my friends, Brabita, you always, you know, like your personality or like you might say, oh, pastor, you see, his personality is so orange. That's why he can talk very easy. But I cannot talk like pastor. I cannot talk like this person. I cannot talk like that person. I'm not extroverted. I'm not fun. People say, I always hear this, but I'm not fun. I understand that. I, 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 there might be some people who may seem more fun than others. Okay? And you might, you might put yourself down. You might say, no, but I'm not fun. I'm not entertaining. And no one likes awkward silences. Right, imagine you're having a meal and then just, everyone's just quiet. Nobody likes that. I'm not kidding. If I stop talking right now and I just keep quiet for five minutes, all of you feel awkward. Okay, unless the presence of God is moving. Okay, if not, it's going to be real awkward. In fact, if I broke out into a song and you heard my singing and I stop, after that, you'll be even more awkward. Okay, you're going to be like, oh, what do I say? That was very bad. You know, do I praise the Lord? No. No, it's going to be awkward. And it's very normal. Nobody likes awkward silences. But some people are more naturally outgoing than others. That's okay. Okay? So let me encourage you with this. Eating together provides a great opportunity for you to live out what we talked about in the previous chapter. Listening. Previous point. Instead of worrying about what you'll say, think about what you can learn about the other person by listening. You can't talk? Then listen. Right? I mean, I think we always hear this quote about God has given us one mouth and two ears. Right? Two ears so that we can listen better. And let me tell you something. One thing I've learned over my role as a counsellor over the years, I mean, I, I talk a lot. I, I end up talking a lot to my friends, my colleagues, my, my customers and everything. But the thing, you know, when I find out the most about the number of friends and the customers and the people that I have is when I listen. When I stop and I find out what do you want? What do you like? What do you want to know? Where do you want to go? So I'm going to share with you some uh, conversation starters. Okay? I'm not sure whether we, we have, I think we have that in the slides. Okay, some conversations, you can start the conversations like, where do you grow up? You know? Uh, what kinds of jobs have you had in your career? Uh, what do you do for fun? What are your dreams for your future? And if you meet a couple who is married, who is dating, where do you meet? That's a, it's a simple enough question that some people are always, uh, I think they, they're always very excited to share. You know, how do they meet? How do they fall in love? How do they get together? And usually it might be funny, it might be touching. And it's, it's something that is very unassuming. It lets people just share openly. Okay? So I think we have to, yeah, so... Have these questions. If you want to take a picture, feel free to do so. These are some conversational starters. Okay? But I want to give you four H. Four H's of listening. Very important. The best salespeople in the world are not smooth talkers, but rather great listeners. Listening is not a talent that some are born with and some are not. It is a skill that we develop and get better at over time. So how do you develop it? 
Okay, one way is to come prepared to every conversation to use the four H's of listening. And these are the categories of the questions that you can always ask. The first one, the first H is history. Okay, when I say history, you can ask, hey, tell me your story. Where do you grow up, like I said earlier? Find out about their history. Number two, heart. What's your favourite? You know, if it's a guy, I tell you, this is a very easy conversation starter. We always talk about sports. Huh? What's your favourite team? There you go. Blessed be the man who said that. Alright, okay. What's your favourite team? Newcastle. Yeah, then everybody will make fun of you at the table. Huh? Oh, such a lousy club. Huh? I used to support them. Huh? Oh, Manchester United. Wow, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Man U fan. I'm a Man U fan. Then everybody together. Liverpool fan. Ah, Liverpool fan. Ah, I cannot make you one. Ah. Everybody just... Bond. There you go, Brother Schenker. Okay? So you see, what's your favourite team? What's your favourite restaurant? What's your favourite vacation destination? Oh, man, I remember my trip to... You know... Thailand, I remember my trip to Italy, I remember my trip to this. Then you start talking about it, like, oh, do you go there? Yeah, man, wow, dude, this place is so nice. And then you just start talking. Right? Habits. The third H, habits. What are you into? What do you like to do in your free time? Oh, I like to go cycling. Oh, I like to go bowling. I like to play football. You know, you know what, what, I like to go food hunting. So different things. Find out what's your habit. And the last H. And this H, I wouldn't say you do it all the time. But I feel that this is something that you only reach when you are close to a person oftentimes. When you're closer in a relationship and a friendship with someone, it's your hurts. How are you doing with this particular situation? How are you feeling? And sometimes when you're a casual acquaintance, nobody's going to open up that to you. But when you build a, a solid enough relationship or a person, as long as you are there, sometimes people, that's all they need. The best kind of um, ability is availability. Right? So don't think like, oh, I need to talk a lot. I need to be so skilled at communication. No. The best form of ability is availability. And sometimes just placing yourself in the right place at the right time allows you, gets your, fit, your foot into the door with someone. Okay? And these type of questions will help you become a great listener and that allows you to become a better friend to your neighbours. Instead of worrying about having the perfect words to say, focus on just being present, asking questions and listening to the people God has put in your life. Remember, you've already been praying for and listening to them. The first two practices of bless. We need to learn to trust God on this adventure. And I think we have a couple more slides. I'm not going to go through them, but these are just some questions. If you want to take a picture, you can take on uh, questions on where you live, okay? Uh, for people who, yeah, there you go. Questions on where you live. You can take a picture of this because some of you might be like, I really struggle with conversation starters or small talk. Some people really struggle with small talk. And that's perfectly fine. Some people are like, I don't know how to start a conversation or where do I navigate? Questions on where you live. So many of them, okay? Take a picture of it. The next one, Questions for where you work. Okay? The first one is for maybe it's ideal for your neighbours. People who are in community. And I see some of the TJ people, I, I think someone like Rachel and all these people, she's always posting about how she's hanging out with her neighbours. They're always gathering together and having meals together. The kids go to the same school, maybe if I'm not wrong. So it's like, it's a community. So a lot of questions can come out from there. Okay? So these are questions for where you work. Who are the, your colleagues? The people that you want to reach out to at work. Okay? And finally, Questions for where you play. Okay? 
So if you're not working, maybe you're doing a, like a hobby or a pastime or whatever, questions for where you play, a sporting venue, a restaurant, cafe, places where you are of leisure. Okay? These are questions. We, have, we, are, we want to equip you. And this is what these questions are for because we don't want to just deliver a message and say you're on your own. Right? We want to be able to share these things with you because we understand sometimes it's not as easy for everybody. Okay? And these tools should uh, uh, put you in the right direction. Okay? And finally, the third excuse might be the biggest barrier of all. I, Singapore, we always say this, I just don't have time. I just don't have the time. Oh, I only got 24 hours in a day, man. I'm already working maybe 16 hours. I don't know, 10 hours, 11 hours. Then I go, go home, have a meal. I'm so tired already. And then if you're married, you need to spend time with children. Then after that, you know, then you're done already for the day. Or, or some of you, you have work and then you're studying at the same time. For some of you, 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 you have work and then you have other commitments. So some of you have ministry. I respect the people who come back uh, on a Wednesday or I think, if I'm not wrong, it's a Wednesday with recordings all the way to night time. The musicians who, who make themselves available for music practice. These are things that you're doing outside of your work. So these people are also busy. Everybody is very busy. See, many of us, myself included, can barely find time to eat meals with our own families, let alone with other people. I get it. Finding the time to eat with people can seem next to impossible. So I'm calling you to try fostering the habit eating with three people each week. You won't need to add a great deal of, into your often already busy schedule. Okay? Most of you already eat three days, three times a day. Okay? Those who don't eat two time, uh, three times, you eat two times, then you eat two times, then you can work around that schedule. Some of you eat only one time, work around that schedule. It's not no hard and fast rule, but by default, usually people eat your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner. And of course, breakfast, oftentimes you do it at home, right? And then you have lunch. You usually might do it with your colleagues or your, your army mates or, or people that you go to school with. And then dinner. There could be somebody who is outside of your existing community. If you're already having a meal with your classmates or your army mates or your, your colleagues, then maybe after dinner could be somebody who is outside of this community. You know? So, most of, so that's 21 meals a day, if you think about it. Three times seven, okay? I'm simply asking you to bring another person to your table for three of those. That's what I'm saying. Got 21 meals in a week. Just bring three. Just three of those, just invite them. Okay, if you want to cut corners, okay, you could bring three people to one table. Okay, Singaporean always like to have discount one, right? Okay, so you don't have three separate meals, then one meal, three people. Okay, if you can do it, by all means. I think sometimes some people like that alone time or that, that, that special attention that they're one person, then do it separately. But if you feel that, hey, I feel that there, there are these three people that I know who can get along. I'm just going to do this one meal to bring them all together. By all means, do it. Okay? Uh, there is actually a meal calendar. I don't know what, we, I think we had that slide also, meal calendar, which also another tool, okay, for you to plan out. This simple tool is another reminder. There you go. That blessed practices are not a program, but a new way to live your life. Most of us, like I say, eat three meals a day, seven days a week. You do not have to do anything different. Just use any of these 21 opportunities to bless a friend and neighbor by sharing them. And the reason why I also share this with you is because I speak for myself. I'm a person who's very forgetful, right? If I don't have a visual sometimes, or if I don't actually have something to remind me or like something visual, I'll forget about it. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, sometimes somebody will be like, text, they will text me and be like, hey, so we're having dinner later, right? I'll be like, oh, Go about it. 
And then I'll be like rushing, I'll be like, oh, hey, hey, can I reschedule? Then I have to reschedule another meal with somebody else or something like that. Very badly. So now I, I lock everything into Google Calendar whenever I can. Because I always forget. So I, I, I think something like this is very helpful. Just write somebody's name down, maybe. Say, you know, maybe Tuesday lunch or, or maybe Tuesday or fasting, maybe Thursday lunch. You know, then you put a person's name down, then you just then you say, I'm going for lunch, you want to join me? Then after that, maybe you want to cover their meal after that. And they'll be like, oh, okay, thank you. Just, just, just an idea. Just use this simple tool at the beginning of every week to pick just one meal, okay, or coffee. We love to drink coffee here, right? Bring them to Yakun. Pastor loves Yakun. You want to go to Starbucks? You want to go a bit up? Can. You want to bring them to a very nice cafe? By all means, do, do so. If you want to give dessert, bless you. God bless you. You want to bring me out? Dessert, okay? Just letting you know, okay? I'm not asking you to add a single minute to your schedule. I'm simply challenging you to include someone in something you're already doing. Plan it out. I'm not asking you to do something different. You're already doing this. You have to eat to survive, okay? So add somebody into that process. That's all, okay? All right, in conclusion, remember you don't have to do all that I've shared alone. Charles Spurgeon once said, some Christians try to go to heaven alone, in solitude. But believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander around alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Have you seen sheep, the herd? Always together one. All going together one direction and another direction, all going together. All together. Sheep go in flocks and so do God's people. I encourage everyone in our church, if you're already not, then find a small care group. Okay? Because it makes life easier. I, I'm telling you right now, right? You might not see right now, but care group helps you. Really helps you. Because sometimes, we, we might not have the opportunity to talk to everybody. We might not have the opportunity to touch everybody, but a care group helps with that. Because sometimes, not everybody can talk to pastor or sister Hoya or some of the leaders that you might want to talk to. But care group, right? That community always helps you. There are going to be weeks that you might find it tough and that care group, right, is going to be the one who's going to hold you accountable, who's going to check on you and be like, are you fine? And sometimes it's not about having a bad week or a bad day. Sometimes you just want to go out and have a meal. Guess what? Do it with the care group. Do it with the community of people who are similar to you, okay? And what if your small group, imagine uh, if your small group started having barbecues, parties, dinners once a month like I, sh I shared earlier, inviting neighbours, co-workers and friends. What if you skipped the Bible study and decided to just hang out and party? Think about that. Okay? That could be someone's first taste of your small group, your church, and of God. Don't ever be mistaken that, oh, I cannot project or share about God over a meal. Jesus did it all the time. Fellowship is so crucial to a relationship with God. So where do we stand? In closing, please don't forget. I just want to remind you, don't, not to forget what's at stake. I know there are many reasons that make eating together difficult and uncomfortable, especially in the times that we live in with, with COVID. There are so many restrictions. I understand that, which is why we need to be even more intentional about planning how we go about doing it. Back then, right, you can just invite as many people as possible. Then just gather together, law. You know, go to a party, everybody come, okay, let's everybody go to the Peter's house, hey, party. But now, you only can have a certain number of people. So you need to be intentional about it. 
Okay, and, and, and for some people, it might be difficult and uncomfortable. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's easy for me, it's, it's going to be easy for you. So no, I know it might be uncomfortable, it might be difficult, but it's worth pushing through our excuses and getting out of our comfort zones because you know why? Deep down, we love our neighbours. And we have an opportunity to change the world one meal at a time. Think about it. You know, we always talk about one soul, one soul, one soul. Think about that. How about one meal? Just one meal. One meal can have one soul, two soul. It doesn't matter. One meal. And I want to leave you with this time. I'm going to pray. If you knew the only thing standing between your neighbor, friend, and eternal life was you eating a meal with them, would you do it? I know you would. If these people meant anything to you and all it took was just one meal, would you do it? And I know you would. Why don't we lift up our hands today? Hallelujah, Jesus. I just want you to just start praying. And I want you to, if you already have a person or people in mind, that's great. But if not, why don't we just lift our hands and, and surrender and say, Lord, if today I do not have certain people in mind, or maybe we, maybe we need God to change our mindset. Maybe instead of just inviting the people that we usually want to hang out with, maybe God wants to place a certain name or individual in our minds and our hearts today. We need to allow Him to do so. So why don't we pray today? Jesus Lord even as we stand before you Lord we thank you for your word we thank you for your examples oh Lord Lord you 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 showed us so many examples throughout the New Testament about the meals and the fellowship that you had with people of all kind all race all culture all, all social status Lord the outcasts the unlovables Lord people who nobody wanted but Lord you were able to look at them oh Lord your look alone could move people Lord your love alone could move people Lord you chose a lot to show mercy you chose a lot to show grace to the people who did not deserve it or who did not usually receive it but Lord today Lord I pray even as we are the church we are an extension of your hands Lord we are an extension of your feet and more importantly we are an extension of your love and I pray that today with your all hands lifted up today even as we surrender of ourselves Lord I pray you begin to impress upon this congregation Lord you begin to place names and individuals and people in their minds, in their hearts, into their calendar, into their organizers, Lord. Let them be intentional, Lord, about making an impact in the life of an individual, Lord. All it takes is just one meal. And I pray, oh Lord, that you continue to impress us because this does not take doctrine. This does not take a theology. This does not take a lot of degree. But Lord, all it takes is a meal. And I pray today that you will continue to speak 
to your people, Lord. You begin to place the life, the, the name, Lord, of an individual, people whom we might not like in our camp, people we might not like in our workplaces or in our school or in our communities, people who we might usually ostracize or stay away from. I pray that you're beginning to open our eyes to these people. You begin to open our eyes to the needs that are around us. Lord, you are always about the needs, Lord. You are always about the needs. You are always drawn to the needs of the people, Lord. And I pray as your people, we will begin to be drawn to the needs of others, Lord, Father. Use us and I pray that you will use us to bless others. That you will begin to provide the necessary means to bless others, Lord. You will use us to invite people for a meal or to treat them or to touch them or to speak in a word of encouragement uh, over uh, a setting or conversation, Lord. Father, I pray you will lead us and guide us. I pray for wisdom. I pray that you'll continue to lead these people, direct them, direct their conversations, Lord. Father, you'll begin to open up doors for everyone here, Lord, who is hungry to do more, Lord, who is, Lord, not satisfied with what they're doing right now, Lord. Let us be intentional in our planning, Lord. Father, grant us the wisdom and the knowledge that we need to plan wisely, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, and I come against any form of distractions. I come against any plan of the enemy that will try to distract us or, or, or redirect us, Lord. But Lord, I pray that you'll keep us focused on the people. Lord, you'll lead us to the man of peace, Lord, Father. In the name of Jesus. Why don't we just reach out to our neighbor and pray for them right now. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for their friends. Pray for their loved ones, the community. Lord, today, Lord, we want to pray for one another, Lord. We want to keep each other accountable. We want to help one another, Lord, Father. I cannot do this alone, Lord. This mission is not for me to do it alone. But Lord, I, want, I need partners, Lord. I need a team, Lord. And today, I pray that you will begin to foster partnerships and teamwork in this congregation, Lord. You will begin to put place names in our minds, the people that we want to work together. Someone who is a great cook, someone who is a great conversationalist, someone who can open up their home, someone who is going to be a, 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 a good host, a Lord Father, someone who is just going to be a good friend, a Lord Father. I pray you'll begin to bring people into our lives, Lord, that we need. If we can't do it, we need help, a Lord, and we are asking you for the help that you will lead us, you will lead the right people into our into our homes, a Lord, into our plans, a Lord Father. We are your sheep. We want to do this together, Lord. We are one body, Lord. Let us break bread together, Lord. Let us share joy and suffering together, Lord, Father. Over a meal, Lord. Let us share our secrets, our failures, our victories, Lord, together, Lord. Let us surprise the world the way we act. Let it surprise the world just as you did, Lord Father. Let us not fall into the norms of this world, but let us do things differently because you always did things differently, Lord. Whatever the world calls unclean, you call it clean, Lord. And today, I pray that you will work on our prejudices. You will work on our preferences. You will begin to work on 
our mindsets. If there's anything that's filtering out people, I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over our minds and our hearts, Lord. Lord, I want a heart like yours. Lord, I want to be able to love people like you did, Lord. I want to be able to reach out to people like you did, Lord. I want to be able to invite people like you did, Lord. Lord, help me, Lord. Help me be more like you, Jesus. Help me show your love, Lord. Because my love is insufficient. But Lord, let me be an extension of your love, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Let us not, oh Lord, hear the word, Lord, and just forget about it today, Lord, Father. We do not want to hear the word of God in vain. I believe, oh Lord, Father. I believe in... Lord, you have already placing a plan in the minds of the people. You have already placed the names in the minds and the hearts of these people. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. <coughs> Hallelujah. Why do we praise the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Why do we thank Him for what He's been doing and what He's going to do for the weeks ahead? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In closing, before I pass the time over to Brother Chris, I just want to say thank you. For, for being such great audience and thank you for being part of this service today. But like I said, don't let the word come in and, and let it out the other way. You know, this is one thing is very easy to apply. There's so many things sometimes we struggle to follow through. But a meal, come on people, we can do this. It just takes a meal, that's all. Alright, nobody, no age is, can be disqualified to a certain extent. You can do it with your friends in, in the canteen, in the school, in, 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 in your workplace, you know, coffee shop, you know, wherever it is, in your home, wherever the setting doesn't matter. It's the people that you do that matters. Alright, praise the Lord. I'm just going to give this time to Brother Chris. Thank you very much. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. I thank Brother... Brother Peter for sharing this word and just want to add that uh, sometimes we want to do what God wants us to do, you know. God wants us to, uh, we, we want to do God's part. Hey, I want to convert you first to come to Christ. Then I invite you to community. But why don't we do our part and let God do His part? We communion, we eat, which is what we need to do bodily and let God do the increase. Amen? Amen. So you are dismissed in Jesus' name. Uh, the ambassadors will guide you.